I would like you to take the word of God, please, and turn with me to the Psalms. The Bible teaches us that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. We all know, if we've lived a little while, a Christian life, that Satan would like to plunge his great temptation in the hour of our great weakness. But the devil doesn't know everything. Only God knows everything. And the devil sometimes is a tool of the Lord. And God uses him. He uses him in many ways. When we look at our situation, we have a certain way of seeing things. Many times we're blinded to the goodness of God and all the abundant things God has for us. Yesterday, Evelyn and I were praying about God's goodness and we were trying to count the blessings and we ran out of ways to count. And then that's just not the minimizing of God's, God's blessing on our lives. It's our inability to just keep up with everything. But he's a wonderful savior and we give him praise and glory. If you have your Bible open, I want you to please have it open, please, to Psalm 85. And we'll begin reading in verse five. I want to start with verse four. Turn us, O God, of our salvation and cause thine anger toward us to cease. When I think about our nation and think about what we need in our nation, I want to cry out with that verse to the Lord. The Bible says, wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. This is our prayer. Verse six of Psalm 85. Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. There are times in life when one feels as weak as a wounded lamb, but remember his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Sometimes we are not weak enough in our own eyes. We're strong in our eyes. We think we know how to do almost anything. Maybe some of you have lived through enough that you've gotten acquainted with weakness. It's a great thing if it brings you to the knowledge that we need the Lord. We really need the Lord. I'm trying to speak on the subject of revival and indications of revival. There's a great deal of talk or chatter, at least, 
about revival in our land. I certainly don't want to do anything or say anything that would hinder that. I don't want to cast any dispersion on any movement that might be genuine. I do not know. But if the Lord is moving and working, I certainly desire him to move and work. And I want him to work in my life where I have a greater and greater desire for that. Most things that happen that are, may I say, media relevant are short-lived. But a general revival and moving of God will not be short-lived. When I was just a young man, I was caught in the midst of a revival in our hometown. I grew up in Maryville, Tennessee, and for a period of time, you could not walk on one of our streets without some Christian who'd been stirred up about the Lord and the Bible confronting you about Christ. It really did happen. I say this, and it sounds like an exaggeration, but it wasn't, and it really happened. On every corner in our little town, someone was waiting to confront you about whether or not you knew the Lord as your Savior. And I'm sure some people got annoyed with it. And it grew and grew. Mostly it took place among young people and young adults. And you could see them. You knew what they were doing. They were having other kinds of meetings, but they were loaded up with gospel material. And you knew when you crossed the street and you got near them, what was going to happen? Someone was going to confront you about knowing Christ. I'm sure some people learned through that experience how to answer them. And just gave some sort of pat answer to get them off their back. But that was the time when God was moving in my life. I got well acquainted with many of those people. And Evelyn and I knew it was a time when God was working in our lives. I attended a youth crusade. It was to be a preliminary meeting for our citywide meeting. And Dr. C. E. Autry was announced to be the speaker Dr. C.E. Autry was an evangelist and a powerful preacher. As a matter of fact, I'd never heard anyone preach like he preached. So <laughs> my heart was stirred. I did not know at the time that God was calling me to preach, but I knew I had an intense burden in my heart about getting the word of God out. I had an increasing burden for my family because I knew that in my home there was not a, a real Christian witness. I imagine if you'd confronted every member of my family, they would have said in the affirmative, oh yes, we're Christians. But God has a way of getting through and cutting through all the peripheral things and bringing you to the truth. That was during a time when someone had confronted me about knowing the Lord. That didn't just happen as a happenstance. You may have thought it did if it was happening to you, 
but they had planned to speak to me about the Lord. That was part of what we were thinking was the revival movement in our, in our city. It came, it was used of God, not just in our town. I had relatives in other counties who got involved in it and were led to Christ. And when they went to be with the Lord, we gave the testimony of that particular moment when they had been confronted with the gospel in that meeting as evidence that they had been saved and their lives had been changed. There's no real way of knowing everything God is doing or where God is doing it. But a revival meeting is when God is at work. In one sense, heaven is invading earth and people's lives are being touched. Anytime there's anything genuine like that going on, and it is genuine, there are genuine things like that going on, because the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's the great evangelist, evangelizing, working. And evangelism is different from revival. I think of evangelism as the gospel, getting to people with the good news of Jesus Christ, that God answered our sin debt problem, and Jesus Christ became sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And over 2,000 years ago, he bled and died on the cross. He purchased our redemption. He made plain the way of salvation. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That debt was paid once and for all and forever. But the message of that has to go to the ends of the earth, to every person. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He gave that commission at least five times, once in the, each gospel record and then once in the book of Acts. But evangelism is different from revival. A revival is a work that concentrates on the people of God, helping them to become more of what God has desired for them to be. One person has said in answer to the question, what is revival? It becomes a new beginning of obedience to God. You may want to write that down, a new beginning of obedience to God. That means on a practical nature, you can have revival in your heart, in your life, in your home, at any moment. But there are unusual movings of God those unusual movements of God are recorded for us in the Bible. There are distinct revival meetings when God's people were drawn back to him. When there were times when people had a new awareness of the Lord and what he wanted them to do. And I think when we talk about revival, that's what we're talking about. How aware are you at this moment that God has a plan and purpose for your life? He's working. When you study the history of revival or you teach about revival, you can talk about certain times that revivals came to certain areas of the world 
there are revivals that seem to touch nations. There are revivals that came to just certain areas of people in a nation. There's certain revival, as far as we can know, that were revival movements that can be traced to a time of prayer when God began to touch people's lives. And it is though, in reality, the Lord invaded people's lives. They become so aware of what God wants. They want to, they want to do whatever the Lord wants them to do. And people look at that most of the time in retrospect and say, that was a revival. That's how many revivals are, joined, are, are talked about in retrospect. I want to give you just a thing or two from the word of God. And I'm thinking all, all the time about what God's done in my life personally. I've been a gospel preacher for 56 years. I always want to make sure that I'm doing two things and my pastor gave me the challenge to do those two things. That is to give the gospel and to say something to challenge Christians. And I need to be clear about both those things. So a, a preacher is doing that. You may have a special burden for a certain type of people, a certain time when God is speaking. I have a burden for our country. I have a burden for Christians to begin to live like Christians. But then I realize there's so many people that are lost. And there are moments when your eyes see that. When my wife and I first went to the New York City area to pastor Many of you may not even know that I pastored a church in the shadow of New York City for over eight years. I was in and out of Manhattan every week teaching the Word of God in the New York School of the Bible. And in a situation like that, you're overcome, really overcome, and I use that word carefully, by the masses of people. And at times you wonder how can they all be reached how can God break through in these busy schedules? How can it happen? And I was almost consumed by that. All of this is something God put on my heart. From time to time, you hear about a special moving of God and you think, is it breaking out there? Is that what revival is? How do you identify revival? Well, it'll always honor the Lord. It'll always speak the truth in love. It'll always be disruptive. Always. You're going one way and God wants you to go another. Some of you are burdened for your own children and you want a revival to take place in their lives. They profess to be Christians, and you want a revival to take place in their lives. And we ought to live in hope of that. I don't like to become critical. I don't like to be around people who are always critical about God's work. I just don't like it. I don't want it to affect me adversely. It's hard enough anytime, anywhere, to keep the attitude right about God's work and God doing things in the world. And you have to fight that. It leads to discouragement and you have to fight that. 
Let's begin with a verse in the Bible in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This is a promise that people make. And it gives us a good idea that revival has to do with God's people. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, the Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Notice it's for God's people, my people, which call by my name. It's a time of deep humility when we see the Lord as he is and see ourselves as we are. And the Bible says, and humble themselves. It's a time of prayer and prayer becomes more intense. If someone said to you, how do I pray? You may give an answer. But you may give a more intense answer to that, getting a hold of God as your situation intensifies. There may be times when you cry out to God. There may be times when you pray long prayers. There may be times when you set seasons of time in prayer. There may be times of emergency, like in Peter's life when he cried out as a sinking man to Jesus who was walking on the water, Lord, save me. But all the prayer in that time is an earnest expectation for God to break through and do something. I've been so desperate in my own life, in situations, with my own family, that my prayer was not some pretty placement of certain words. It was an intense crying out to God. I don't say that it's always been that way, but there were times when it was that way. But what circumstances God used to bring me to that point is between me and God. But the Bible says, and pray. And here's an interesting thing. And seek my face. And seek my face. Every time you're about to approach the Lord, every time, the world, the flesh, and the devil tries to interfere with that. That's why you need to try as much as possible to find a private place, a, a time for uninterrupted attention for the Lord. Because that leads to a turning from wicked ways, the repentance that's necessary is involved in that. And then God answers. You can't have a revival without God breaking through. You can call it a revival, but if there's no God in it, there's no revival in it. Amen. Then will I hear from heaven. And that's no small thing when you think God hears from heaven. He's listening. He's always attentive. But there's a moment when he will hear from heaven. And if there are qualifications for God to hear from heaven, if there are things that get the attention of God, that cause God to hear, I certainly want to do those things. And the Bible says in these ancient days, 
in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, he will heal the land. We all know we need a healing of the land. I'd like for you to remember that verse. Let's look back at Psalm 85, please, just for a moment. The word of God says, wilt thou not revive us again? In Psalm 85, verse six. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. In any real revival, there's a, a measure of spiritual rejoicing. There's an awakening to see God as he is and as we are. But there has to be joy. One of the things that troubles me most about my own life is the absence of that joy. Are you a joyous person? Do you have the joy of the Lord? I often think, will people be able to see in heaven the things going on, on earth? And Dr. Frank Sales, one of my spiritual fathers, said, Jesus sees it all Amen. and it doesn't affect him. Hmm. Won't it be wonderful for us to God, God to give us a mind and a body that we can behold things that would normally set us on edge of some kind or another. Yet we know our faith is anchored in God. All is well. It's going to be wonderful. In the book of Jeremiah, I'd like for you to turn there, please. I just want to give you some of these highlights. No land seems to as ever, ever be as broken as the land of Israel was. Judah destroyed. The Babylonians doing everything their evil minds would imagine. They actually were used as an instrument, an instrument of wrath in God's hands. And the Lord paints the picture for us and then in the Lamentations, he tells us about the sadness of all of it. And if you come to Lamentations chapter five, the word of God says in verse 21, turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. This is one of the great revival verses. Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. If God turns us, we shall be turned. There's a whole lot involved in God turning us and then really there's nothing. It's like coming to the cross for salvation. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And we begin to think about all we've gone through and all we've done, all we need, all God is doing. But the truth of the matter is, when the Lord brings you to the end of yourself, that may not happen often. It may not happen ever in your life. But when God brings you to the end of yourself, 
and you become acquainted with your own weakness. That's a time of spiritual revival because we have God revealing himself to us. Most of the time when we say, this is the worst thing ever happened to me, whatever we have in mind, that particular event or situation we've been brought into, we find when we reflect upon it, it's good for us. It had to be this way. When I went through all these surgeries, I don't like to talk about them at all. My wife seems to talk about it more than I do. But they always go through the same routine. Now you could die with this. <laughs> and uh, God gives you a calm if you're one of his children. A calm to trust him. You say goodbye to the dear loved ones who are trying to help you and encourage you. And you're rolled into a surgical situation. And it comes down to trusting nothing and no one except God. And it is not horrible. It is not a situation where you're screaming and crying out for help when you've got nothing but the Lord you find you need nothing but the Lord I don't think anybody could ask for that I don't think anyone would pray for that but everyone who's been through it would tell you if they're Christians they would tell you it's one of the greatest moments of my life when I had nothing but the Lord Nothing. And we sing the song sometimes as Christians, he's all I need. But he really is all you need when he's all you got. <laughs> Let me say something else on a practical nature. If you'll turn with me, please, uh, to the book of Hebrews. So a revival is a, a turning to God. But it's God doing the turning Turn thou us and we shall be turned. I don't personally believe, and I could be wrong, I don't personally believe there'll ever be a real revival in your heart unless you have a Christ-like attitude toward the church. Now, some people just live like the church is nothing to them. But Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. And the church becomes precious to you when you recognize it is precious to him. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, and what we often quote in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There is such a thing as something meaning more to you. I remember walking into the room with Dr. Lee Robertson. He was 97 years old. The doctors just told him, uh, Dr. Robertson, you have no more than two weeks to live, maybe just days. He said, I never thought it would come this quick. No one ever does. 
my wife and I had returned from Europe and we walked into his room in Chattanooga in the place where he was staying. And he said to me something I will never forget unless I lose my mind. He said, Clarence, I'd rather see you right now than anybody else in the whole world. 97 years old, and I introduced to him the fact that Evelyn was with me. But he had everything imaginable. But someone, someone could make that much of a precious difference to him. I never dreamed about it being me. I truly didn't. And this may be one of the few times I've ever said what it meant to him. Because I think of him as such a great man. But I'm trying to use it to say something to you. When God is really working in your heart, when the real Lord is really dealing you, with you, and you're brought to the point where the things in this world seem to have so little value, it's people God uses. People with the presence of Christ in those people to make the great difference in your life. I don't think we realize how much a visit, a smile, a phone call can make in the lives of somebody who's truly having a hard time at wit's end. Nothing to hold on to except the Lord. It's so God uses people in a special way and I think that's revival. It may be at the end of life but it's revival. God is touching us, working our hearts. That's just something I wanted to say to you because I think sometimes when I hear about poor pitiful people and what they're going through, no one ever dies alone who's a Christian. No one ever left alone who's a Christian. No one. I've had numerous occasions when people have told me about their sons and daughters taken in an automobile accident, something tragic happened to them. And uh, to comfort them and to be, to be truthful to them, when I find out that he or she was a Christian, I'm so thrilled to say they were not alone. It's real. God is with you. In those moments, I have felt like Jesus Christ himself had a hold of my hands. No one ever closer. As much as I love my darling wife and I don't love anybody on earth like I love her. And I'd like to think she feels the same way about me. The Lord's given us a wonderful time together. But there are times when God makes a difference between her and himself. Now, I, I don't mean anything derogatory about my wife that way. Because God's just different than the nearest person on earth to you. But most of the time in life, you never experience him that way. And it refreshes your soul, it revives your soul that you know you're never alone and you're never forsaken. Isn't that wonderful? It's precious. And sometimes memories become more important to you 
than they do at other times in life. I understand that now that I've gotten a little older and I have things to think about on my memories. One of the things I must say that I want to tell you if I'm going to be really faithful to this, if you'll turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, and I hope this doesn't sound like a lot of rambling, but I'm just giving these thoughts about how to recognize revival. Prayer, God's word, God's people. The emphasis here. And in 1 John chapter four, the Bible says, and get this, beloved, verse one, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be there of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. The devil is so dirty, you can't say enough dirty things about him. I don't say dirty words, I'm just saying you can't say enough bad about him. He's bad. He'll come to you in the lowest part of your life, the lowest time of your life, the loneliest time of your life, and use any trick he can to get you deeper and deeper in the hole. And so the Bible says, try the spirits. And there's no spirit like the deceiving spirit of imitation. So that's why we have to try the spirits. Is this really the Lord? If it's really the Lord, let's read on. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come and even now already is in the world. And I love this fourth verse like every Christian loves it. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's a witness of the true Holy Spirit. And that witness assures to you that no matter what you're dealing with or who you're facing, God is greater. God is greater. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Praise God for that. Now when you've gone through something, and you wonder what it's really all about. I want you to turn to the book of Jude, just one chapter, Jude verse three. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should be earnestly, you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered under the saints. And may I say, if you'll write that verse down, Jude, verse three, when a real revival comes, it has a purifying, cleansing effect 
to remove other things, lesser things, and magnify God and the things of God in your life. And sometimes you don't see that in the moment, but you can see it more clearly after the incident or after the event. So sometimes we want to jump in, be the first on the parade. But there's nothing wrong, as a matter of fact, everything right about measuring it in its likeness to Christ to see if it's true to the Lord. God's not going to leave his children out. He wants the best for us, the very best for us. And if I had the opportunity to say things to you, to encourage you, to encourage you, to bring you to your personal accountability to the Lord, these are the things I would say. Because I love you, and God's put in my heart to be a pastor, a shepherd. And the shepherd knows you will hear his voice. He will affirm to you It is I, be not afraid. God is with you. He'll never leave you alone or forsake you. You can always count on the Lord Jesus Christ.